1: Selling and award-winning author of Kick-Ass International Thrillers, and this is The Taylor Stevens Show with my good friend Steve Campbell, where we are kicking writing in the butt, one word at a time.
0: Taylor, you are somewhat famous on on this show for not watching television.
1: (laughs) I was going to say, somewhat famous on this show. Yeah, I would
0: hope so.
1: It's the only place where I'm famous.
0: (laughs) But I mean, you you talk a lot about, I don't watch television, and so... We were talking about different ideas for Chit Chat, and I'm like, oh, I want to talk about the opening of this TV show, this new TV show that I saw. And you said, well, I've never seen it. I wouldn't I wouldn't even know what to do. And the opening scene was online, so I ask you to watch it. It's the opening sequence from a show called Stumptown. I think it's on ABC, and I – this is
1: not a paid advertisement or anything. It is guys. not. I just want to make sure you know that. This is just me and Steve having a conversation.
0: <laughs> and and I looked it up. I saw the name Greg Rucka on the credits, and I, I was familiar with that name, and, and Taylor is as well. He's an author, and a he, he writes graphic novels as well. So Stumptown was originally – I did not know this, but Stumptown was originally a graphic novel that began in 2009. Anyway, let's get to the intro to the show because I, I, I've seen it. I saw it online once, and then I watched the show for real, and I just thought, "Oh my gosh, this is so clever." And among, I'll be interested to see if if we get the same thing out of it. But among the things that I saw that that were really fascinating was just the way that they set the scene or they created the setting by these two dirt ball-ish kind of guys in a car driving down the road. One of them's drinking something, and he's like a wine connoisseur, and he's talking about the the flavor. I think it was coffee. Well, it was, it was coffee, coffee, but he, he described it as the, the way a wine connoisseur would describe something, yes. but it was coffee. And so you go, okay, it's, it's taking place in the Northwest somewhere. And these guys are, you can't really tell. They just kind of look like dirt bags. You can't really tell that you know, whether they're criminals or what's going on, and all of a sudden there's somebody banging from the trunk. So it's like, okay, all right, so these are bad guys. Something bad is going on. And then they hit a bump, and this Neil Diamond song starts playing.
1: Sweet Caroline.
0: Yes, Sweet Caroline. Thank you. Thank you for knowing your Neil Diamond. It's the
1: only song I know.
0: (laughs) So anyway, you would not know this because – you haven't seen the whole show. You only saw the intro. But that actually plays into the rest of the show. This, it turns out that this is the main character's vehicle that they stole, and she's in the trunk. And this mysterious tape player that just, every time you hit a bump, it starts playing this mixtape of these old, sappy songs. And so it, it almost becomes like the theme of, of the show. Like, like whenever there's an action sequence, the car hits a bump... And it starts playing a song, like Sweet Caroline. And then things start to happen. And I just thought it it was like a a two-and-a-half-minute intro scene that ends with the car flying off a bridge after our heroine has broken free of the trunk and is beating the daylights out of the people driving the car.
1: Okay, guys, I know it sounds like Steve is totally spoiling this. I only watched the first two-and-a-half minutes of this. There's a, a, a link on YouTube that says... Um, the first four minutes of the show, Stumptown. And Steve, he was like, well, it's online. You should just go watch it. So we watched it, right? I watched it right before recording this episode. Um, ignore everything he's saying. Just go watch It's really entertaining. Just go watch it.
0: But from a <laughs> he's story... Not spoil-
1: he's not spoiling anything.
0: No, I'm not spoiling anything. But from a story perspective, I thought it was interesting the way they accomplished so much in such a short period of time.
1: I am still digesting it. I just thought it was brilliant. It was so freaking entertaining. It, the... The mixture um, – what do they call – I can't – words today. Words, words. That's, what, that's one of the funny things we say to each other in this household uh, when we stumble over our vocabulary. And what she it, says that we thing. say to
0: each other in this household, she's talking about her family in Texas. <laughs>
1: yes, <not> Steve. <laughs> well, Steve and I have still never met face-to-face, but that is going to change in about three weeks when he gets to Texas – uh, four weeks to get to Texas for BowserCon and we're finally going to have a chance to meet, and may even be able to record a show live together. What? Juxtaposition is the word I was looking for, and that is when you know you, this juxtaposition between the music, the the way the the scene shifted, the setting, everything. It just it came together in it just an eye and ear feast. And as you guys all know, as Steve said, I'm famous on this show for not watching television. <laughs>
0: But I actually am really, really, really curious to go check this one out. And if you were to describe it, oh, forget that. Let's not describe it. But let's get into description for the, as the topic for this show.
1: Oh, you are so sweet. Okay, so last week we were talking about how everything ties together. And we were talking about there are different elements that show up in the scene. You know, you've got dialogue, you've got character interaction, character thoughts, emotional beats, and whatever. Another one of those elements is description. And description is kind of uh, part of the the narrative. Description is one of those things that comes up a lot in um, questions that people ask me either when I'm doing events, and sometimes they come in um, as reader feedback, like when an aspiring author will read one of my books and they'll be like, I just don't understand how you bring this to life so well? Why is your work so different than mine? And the emotional component of it really is part of it. But if you, if you look at the reviews that I get nearly across the board, even from the haters, about my work, the, one of the themes that keeps showing up over and over and over again is that of very vivid settings, bringing them to life. And I've talked about this before in how the settings are, there's an emotional component to them. And we've also talked about description as character and motion, right? So I got to thinking about this in terms of everything tying together. And uh, knowing that we were going to do this show, I like started pounding out these different like ideas, trying to get it coherent and logical so that when I got on here, I didn't just trip over myself and... And wasn't helpful, but I only got halfway through that before we had to start recording. So, um, you know, some of this is going to be a little note referencey, and some of this is going to be just off the cuff. But basically, um, the re- one of the reasons that description is such a big deal for for authors is because that's a major part of what brings a scene or a setting to life. It's what a part of what makes it feel real. And description is also really visual. So when we put description down on the page, we're basically describing what the character sees, right? Right? Or what the author wants to show you of if the character is not seeing itself, herself, itself, whatever, um, the author is showing you the world that the character is walking through. So it's really natural to think of description in terms of showing what a scene or a setting looks like. And because of this, we often end up With two extremes. First is where we put in too much description. The author goes on and on, and they're detailing the character's surroundings, and it gets really boring. Like a lot of the stuff doesn't really matter. They're trying to bring this scene to life, and they're just putting so much detail in it. And when we've talked about description, that until now has been sort of where we focused on how to pare that down how to uh, figure out what's important, how to get the character in motion through those settings. The other extreme is we end up with not enough description. And so we have no true sense of place. And so when you have no sense of place, the, the character can feel as real and alive as can be, but they're not connected to anything. They're just there, right? So that's what I wanted to talk about today in terms of description. And I had sort of a different way of looking at it or describing description that might possibly be helpful to those who are trying to find this balance between too much or not enough. And it's this. The ultimate purpose of description is so your characters don't end up interacting in a spatial void. So the balance that you're looking for is not about bringing a setting to life for your readers. It's providing the backdrop, the palette for your characters in this mental movie that they're performing in so that they're actually interacting with, uh, showing up on an actual stage, a real setting. And it's not, we're only looking at the setting and where's the character and it's not, here's the character on a bare empty stage acting and interacting with nothing right so it ties into the concept of character in motion which just to refresh that concept real quick when we've got character in motion you you need to show the setting don't tell the setting and you show the setting through the character's observations and the character's movements so regarding that Ultimate purpose of description, meaning that your characters don't end up interacting in a spatial void, description isn't there to bring the location to life. It is there to provide the context and the environment that your characters are inhabiting so they're not forced to exist in nothing. And so, you know, when I think of material that Steve and I have worked with, where I've gone in and completely rewritten scene settings in order to bring a place to life it wasn't about going on and on about here's what it looks like or whatever it's it's creating the world it's basically like um it's it's like an artist painting a a picture you are or maybe like a filmmaker or somebody who who goes and um does set design right this is set design you you have a character who's going to be acting in this set, what set are they in? Because set, the setting sets the, the tone. Is it is it bleak? Is it happy? Is it bright? Is it dark? Is it gloomy? Um, it sets mood. It sets so many things. And when you don't offer that to the reader, you have no set. You have no setting, right? So last week, when I was talking about everything tying together, I didn't have any actual examples. And so that's where my panic was today. It was like, <laughs> crap, I've got, I've got to come up with some examples here. And I'm not going to be able to do it on the fly because my mind is just does not work that quickly um, when it comes to creative things. So I made some stuff up. So here's the little note that I wrote to myself. I was like, here's a made-up example of the type of chapter and scene openings that I've seen that demonstrate characters interacting in a spatial void. So here's our little scenario. In the prior scene that is just closed out, our protagonist, Jane, heard a song on an old mixtape that triggered a memory. And that memory may have something to do with why her friend Mary has been acting strangely. Now, Jane and Mary have a mutual friend named Bob. And Jane wants to talk to Bob about the song and about Mary, so she goes to visit Bob at his office. And at this point in the story, we know generally where Bob's office is, but we don't really have any other sense of Bob's place, just that he's got an office, in ex-part of town. and Jane went to visit him because it's possible the song she heard has something to do with why Mary has gone off the rails, right? Now, here's how the chapter starts. Sitting in Bob's office, Jane wondered about the record she'd heard last night. She couldn't get it out of her head. I know I made that up, but I'm not, like, deliberately going way, way out in, you know, like coming up with the most basic thing. Like this is reflective of different things I've seen, of how I've seen chapters start and where I'm just like, no. So long time listeners are already going to know that there are a number of reasons why we'd want to rewrite that opening, but we're just going to focus on the description. So I'm going to read it again. Sitting in Bob's office, Jane wondered about the record she'd heard last night. She couldn't get it out of her head. That's fresh, right? So here's a little side note. We can never, as authors, take for granted that a reader is going to move directly from one chapter to the next. Very few books are read in one sitting and chapters are usually where people stop or they'll stop at a scene break. It's very rare that people will stop like in the middle of a scene and just shut the book unless they hate it and they're not planning to read it anymore. So if there's a scene that's carrying over between chapters or between breaks, there's always going to be this balance that You have where you need to refresh the memory of what exactly is going on for those who are returning after the break and not repeating useless information for those who are continuing on straight through. So there may be things about Bob's office that were given in the prior chapter, but we can't just assume that anybody's going to remember that when they open it up. And here's where they go. Sitting in Bob's office, Jean wondered about the record she'd heard last night. She couldn't get it out of her head. Now, we've talked before on this show about five, I think there's five or six critical elements that have to show up um, in every scene opening. And there's two elements that are required no matter where you are in the story, and that is that readers need to know where, whose head we're in and they need to know where that character's body is in relation to time and space. So let's look at that paragraph, that opening sentence again. We know that we're in Jane's head because you know Jane wondered whatever, but do we actually know where Jane is in time and space? Sitting in Bob's office, Jane wondered about the record she'd heard last night. All we know is Jane is sitting in Bob's office. Now, if I asked you right now to describe to me what Bob's office was, Is Bob a lawyer? Is he a doctor? Is he a newspaper man? Is he an engineer? You couldn't tell me. Because none of that information has been provided. We don't know if Bob's office is in a good part of town, bad part of town. We don't know if it's in the country, in the city. We don't know anything starting this chapter fresh. We we have no sense of how it feels. We we know nothing. So Look at the the meta meta details of this this office, right? Where is it? How did Jane get there? Oh, you know, we, we know nothing. So if these details were already really clearly provided leading up to the opening, then we could probably skip introducing them. But we can't skip them so completely that they don't show up at all. Right. We don't have any sense of anything. So right now, as far as the reading mind is concerned, Jane is sitting on an on a chair or we actually don't even know what Jane is sitting on, on an empty stage with a sign that reads Bob's office above her head. That's all we've got. So we've done nothing to set the scene, to give the reader a sense of place. So then we have this question of what's happened since we last saw Jane or Bob? That's also very meta in the sense that it's it's big picture. And um, in some cases, like if this scene is backing up direct, back to back, where the last scene that closed out, Jane was, let's say, walking up the stairs to or opening the door to Bob's office, right? Then there's no chronological gap. Then we don't have to. Um, really reflect back or give the reader any information on what happened since we last saw Jane. But if Bob happens to be a point-of-view character and we haven't seen Bob for a while, well, now something is missing. Bob has now shown up on the page after an absence. We're going to need something that closes that gap. Now, what order it shows up in, that still remains to be seen. But if we haven't seen Bob for three chapters and all of a sudden we open with sitting in Bob's office, Jane wondered, well, we've just basically thrown the reader into the deep end of a pool and said, figure it out. And that's not how you get reading immersion, right? So now let's look at more of the detail, right, of this scene. Remember that character in motion is how we describe how we put setting onto the page, how we get descriptor on there because we are filling out the set that these characters are going to interact with. What is Jane sitting on? Where are the characters in relation to each other? How far apart are they? Where's Bob in this office? As far as we know, Bob's not actually on the page because it said sitting in Bob's office, but we don't know if Bob's in, job, in Bob's office. Maybe Bob is off, you know, Doing surgery, and Jane's just sitting there waiting for him. We don't know any of that, so that's the 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 problem when you don't have enough description. You just bam open a chapter or a scene with, here's Jane, see Jane run. It doesn't work. It it it, it throws you into the story. Yes but without any emotional connection to the characters, without any visual setting, it doesn't feel alive. It doesn't feel real. It feels like a a grade schooler telling a story to their friend. And if that's the tone that you're going for in your work, then that's fine. Because, you know, just because I write with a certain measure of gravitas or whatever, doesn't mean everybody has to. And sometimes this type of very chatty telly storytelling type can be can be what the, the tone that the author's going going for and, and that's fine but if you're trying to make this feel grown up and make it feel serious and not serious in the sense of uh, somber but serious is in the sense that you're actually a serious writer a serious storyteller you've got to provide those details you've got to put them on the page So I don't have a, I didn't get far enough in my notes to actually go about showing how I would do it myself. Um, But just from the way that I write and the way that I storytell, I know that I would not ever, under any circumstances, start a chapter with an ing word sitting in Bob's office. Um, I would probably start it with Jane walking through the door because that immediately puts us in character and motion. And I would start it. So I would go from like Jane opening, like maybe even Jane standing at the door, hand on the door handle, taking a deep breath, really still troubled about that song she saw last night and, and not really knowing Bob's position. Like, you know, is he going to laugh at her or whatever, opening the door and stepping inside And then I would throw sensory detail in there. It still smelled as musty as the last time she, um, you know, talked to him about this. The drapes were still closed, Um, piles of books uh, stacked three feet high off the floor, and his desk was a mess of paperwork. And now she questioned whether he'd be able to remember—or maybe she would say, yeah, well, if anybody was going to remember— you know, that song and how it related to Mary. Well, this guy was, if he can remember where to find a piece of paper amongst that, you know, one ton of garbage sitting on his desk, you know, that is character, that is character, that is character in motion, that is scene setting, that's description, because now we have a sense of place. We have a sense of, of how these characters interact with each other. And then I would put her in motion again, and it'd be like, she crossed the, you know, three feet between door and desk and squeezed past, you know, uh, uh a dusty fake house plant for the one extra chair that was in the room, and moved the stack of magazines off its seat to the floor. Is that is is it too much detail? Maybe does it does it build out the story? And here's the thing: is yes, it does, and it does because you are bringing not only the stage setting to life but that description is also character. It shows who Bob is as a person. It shows who she is when she relates to somebody who is like Bob as a person. And all of that helps to build out the story and bring it to life. And so from there, we've set the scene. We know who else is in the picture. We know we have the atmosphere. We have a sense of who, these other, who the other character is. And now Jane can go ahead and begin her discussion. Or Bob can hold up a finger and say, wait, I'll be, just give me a second, and she sits there thinking about things, frustrated that she can't talk to him, but reliving whatever it was that brought her there for the sake of the reader and whatever. You don't want to spend too much time in anyone one character's head without movement, so that's not an opening to do an info dump or a, an inner monologue. But if you need that pause beat, that's the way to do it. But all of that is done through character motion and through providing the stage, the setting. If you have too much of it, it will drag on forever and be boring. If you don't have any of it, it just feels like um, a rough draft. It doesn't feel like storytelling, it just feels la 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 la. The balance, and that's why I say the balance, the way to find how much is too much and how much is enough, is is not enough is. The ultimate purpose of that description is so your characters don't end up interacting in a spatial void.
0: As you were describing this, I was thinking back, and I, I would never – this would never have occurred to me before we had this conversation. As a reader, I will occasionally come across chapter opens, openings like this and go, this is a great place to stop because I know that when I restart, I'll get right back into the story. And I know that as as writers, we don't want to encourage people to close the book, but sometimes you, you're like, it's, you're tired, you're getting ready to go somewhere, and you just know, okay, if I pick it up from here, I'm going to, within a couple of paragraphs, know exactly what's going on, as opposed to lots of other times that we pick up a book after a couple of days, and you're like five or six pages in, and then you go, I, I think I need to go back a little ways to figure out what the heck's going on with the story, and I I didn't realize that that I actually, when I come across something like that, if it's if it's almost time to stop reading, I will use that as a as a placeholder to stop, knowing that I can get right back into the story.
1: That's interesting. I never even thought of it that way. Another um, another way to look at it too is um, as an author, your job is to give the reader all the tools that they need to build that set that set piece that stage in their brain. If you make the reader do too much work, if it becomes mentally taxing because you're not providing them the information they need in the order that they need it, and they they quit. And so each reader is going to have their own version of what that means. There are some readers who are really, really just fine reading material that's very sparse, and that requires their brain to do all the work, and they and they don't care at all. And and then there are some readers that are so highly sensitive to this that if you— I've been often accused, for example, in, in from readers in my books, that there's no character development. And, and that's always very confusing for me. But I think that it comes from um, readers who are used to pages of introspection from characters as they reflect back on how things make them feel and in a thriller there's no room for that you you have to get to the point and move on and people who get it will get it and those who don't but that's what that's what a thriller is and so um so that just goes to show the variance of a reader expectations in what constitutes too much description what constitutes not enough So there's no way to make it so that everyone is going to be happy. There's always somebody who's going to negatively react to your work, saying that you should have done it some other way. You cannot, cannot write your stories based on trying to please everyone. But what you are looking for is that balance where you hit it enough for enough readers so that it reads cleanly and they have all the tools that they need and you don't have people in the middle of that bell curve shutting your work out because you've made them work too hard on either end of the spectrum.
0: All right. So description is the the purpose of description is so that your characters aren't interacting in a spatial void. That's a, yep. if, if we try and use that as a title, that's not going to work. We need something <laughs> we need something different. But that's what we've been talking about. And a fascinating show, it kind of leads to another question that I have. And we're a little bit too late to get into that. But we will uh, pick that theme up with uh, the, our next episode, which will be next Tuesday. So thank you all so much for listening. And Taylor, thank you for the insight.
1: And thank you guys for being here and we'll be with you next week.